welcome to the Squats and Science podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Science podcast, episode 15. I'm Coach Joe. I'm joined with Coach Arian. How's it going, dude? You know, just uh, in quarantine over here. Yeah, how's that going? <laughs> just laying in bed all day. Wow. At least <laughs> yeah. you can train. You're one of the few people who can actually train. I mean, you're in a gym right now. I know, but, well, the two of us. <laughs> the bedroom setup actually pays off. Unbelievable. Yeah, doing some uh, feet-up bench. You can start charging like uh, you know five hundred dollar memberships for one hour sessions. Except we're in a shelter in place in Miami, so people aren't supposed to uh, be outside. Yeah, people aren't supposed to be outside in New York either, but everybody's outside. <laughs> That's New York. Clearly, nobody is listening to that. I I've been pretty good about it. Haven't left my apartment other than to come here for two weeks uh, since the meet. So fully fully quarantined i've basically just gone to uh the grocery store yeah we, we did that too uh and that was not fun gotta gotta say not fun hard, <laughs> hard pass uh, so what's going on what have you been up to since the meet other than that just chilling doing any coaching work yeah i mean we basically ran the uh the last meet in new york and then on uh Monday when I was finishing everything up, New York basically shut down. And then I came down to Florida and we basically ran the last meet in, in Florida in Orlando last weekend. And then uh, Sunday while we're doing the meet, they basically, USAPL announced all the sanctions are postponed through May 30th. So basically ran the, the two of the last meets uh, in the country. Yeah, we got those in right before everything shut down. Was that meet limited spectators too? Yeah, I mean, uh, the meet director didn't say as much as we did for our New York meet, but I think people in general were just, like, scared anyways, and not maybe that many people came. Yeah. So, like, uh, Saturday was, like, maybe 35 competitors, and there was, like, 12 people in the audience. Yeah. So maybe everybody was at those social distancing yacht parties in Miami. <laughs> spring break was still on. Yeah, everyone was going to spring break. <laughs> They just they couldn't go to the meet. <laughs> um, all right, so what are we talking about today? Uh, basically, how to work out at home without access to the gym, and maybe we can talk about the uh, program you wrote. Yeah, so a lot of people have found themselves with uh, restricted gym access or no gym access. Um, probably for a lot of people, the first time in a long time where they haven't been able to touch a barbell. Uh, so... The idea is to try and figure out a workaround at home. Um, I have some ideas on it. Uh, I'm interested to see what you have to say about it first. So, just how would you how would you instruct your athletes in this situation? I mean, it's like a, a whole range of scenarios based on whether you have access to a rack and barbell and weights, or if you maybe only have like a barbell and weights with no rack or if you only have like dumbbells or if you don't have anything. 
So there's like a lot of different uh, solutions. So for my lifters, the people that have access to everything are still training at home. Um, and then some of the people that don't have access to anything are just kind of like doing their own workouts um, or I sent them your program or they're basically just like doing nothing, focusing on on if they can work from home or just relaxing, whatever else they got going on. Right. So obviously the first variable <clears throat> here is equipment access. Um, so let's let's start from the, the basic. Let's say what if nobody what if somebody has zero equipment if they have nothing? What's a what's a general recommendation for those people? <laughs> well, if you got nothing, uh, I mean, it's up to you whether you want to continue doing just like body weight stuff. So obviously upper body is a lot easier. You can do all kinds of push-ups. Um, depending on what you have access to, you can do different versions of pull-ups and rows. Um, lower body is a little bit harder, but you can still do body weight squats, lunges, split squats, um, stuff like that. And then you can just start grabbing stuff from uh, home, as you've seen everyone on, on Instagram grabbing whatever jugs of water, grabbing their pets, um, whatever they have access to to get a little bit of weight on there. Yeah, any kind of resistance, I guess. Um, all right, so step up from that would be if somebody had a, a single dumbbell or a single kettlebell, which is what I actually wrote that program was designed for those those people since that's, the I think, the lowest uh, – barrier of entry to equipment and actually some people probably do have a set of dumbbells at home or at least a kettlebell or even uh resistance bands um what how would you instruct those people yeah i mean at least a lot of people have like maybe just one set of like dumbbells at home that maybe they've had like lying around um or like you said they might have bands or maybe they just like bought bands last minute off of uh, walmart or amazon or something like that and got it uh before everything shut down. Um, and with that, you can do those same exercises, but at least now you can add some kind of resistance to it. So now with the bands, at least you can get some resistance to your body weight squats. You can get some resistance to some good mornings. Um, if you have a uh, dumbbell or kettlebell, you can do different things for shoulders, like side laterals, uh, rear delts. You can do kettlebell swings. Um, and even just like the other body weight stuff, like push-ups you can add the bands to get some more resistance in there for people that are strong enough have to exercise. Um, and on the flip side, if you have something like a, a pull-up bar, but you're not very good at pull-ups, then you can use the bands to give you some uh, assisted pull-ups to get more reps in. Right. So it's actually, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot you could do with a small amount of equipment. Um, I guess we'll, we'll, let's go into the program that I wrote and I'll talk about some of my thought process behind, behind it. Um, so basically we, the idea or what I think the idea should be is to try and find movements. Um, this is specifically for powerlifters, movements that, that come as close to possible to, to close to specificity as possible without actually using a barbell or stuff that I think people should be doing anyway during their normal training. Um, Cause let's face it, a lot of, a lot of athletes don't do their accessories. A lot of people don't do the stuff that, uh, that they don't want to do the stuff that's hard. Um, but some of that stuff is actually is, is, uh, really important. Um, especially in an off season, which now everybody, literally everybody is in an off season. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's the, the perfect time to do it. So the first, the first thing I did was I put in those 10, zero 10 tempo squats. Uh, and this is basically, I'm just making a goblet squats 
I'm, I'm just making uh, increasing time under tension, right? It's just a variable that we, we have control over without, um, without having access to a barbell or anything like that. You can make the movement harder. Um, but the reason I actually really like these is because it can help enforce uh, good positioning for the squat. So now if I have an athlete who's done a month of that, uh, when they actually get back under the barbell, they might even see a little bit more control uh, of that, that motor pattern. Um, you know, when you put weight on it, it might change, but at least we're practicing something that, that I think is applicable to our actual training. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, um, whatever way you can make it more difficult would obviously be beneficial. Um, so if you can do the time under tension and get some more muscular damage, then at least initially that may be uh, beneficial. And obviously like you said, working on the other stuff like technique. So doing a goblet squat, not necessarily about, uh, trying to maybe like be as upright as possible or anything like that, but learning the stuff as far as like bracing and getting their, the ribs in the right position. Yeah. Um, even if it's not a difficult weight, they can practice and see what that feels like. Um, and if they're doing it barefoot, they can see what it feels like with getting the application of their, uh, their feet for pushing on the ground and keeping the heels down, everything like that. And then hopefully that will transfer over when they go back to a barbell. Yeah. I actually think it's really good practice, um, for everybody, uh, whether we're, we don't have access to a gym or not. I, I like this movement. I use it for people to warm up with sometimes, um, just to help them get used to whatever position we're trying to drill for the squat. Cause it's kind of different for everybody, but, um, it, it's really useful. Uh, and then beyond that, I, I did a bunch of, a couple of unilateral movements, um, stuff that are really movements that are challenging, even with just a single dumbbell or a kettlebell, um, single leg Romanians are really good. Bulgarians are really good. A uh, little bit of quad, a little bit of, uh, hamstring, um, and also people generally, I think, avoid this stuff in training because it's hard. Balance is an issue. It's also not, it's not very fun. Um, so I, I, I like both of those movements regardless of gym access. Um, so to me, it just made sense. And then I put Cossack squat in there, which I just, since we have this time just to do something out of the sagittal plane, just move in a different direction. Um, something that people probably aren't used to doing, especially power lifters. Um, and that's kind of my thought process behind the leg day that I put in that program. You have any, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, in, uh, in general, there's a lot of things that people can work on and it's not just about strength. So that's kind of what some of the stuff you're putting in a program is some people might need to work on. Um, one is just like the deload. If they're dealing with any kind of injuries or pain, um, Two, it can be working on technique and learning how to brace and everything like that. Three can be then this uh, prehab, rehab stuff, especially like unilateral stuff. Um, if they have one side that's maybe uh, weak um, based on a previous injury or something like that, um, then that's, those are things that I can work on. Um, mobility in general. Um, some of the people don't have the mobility they need to like hit a proper squat without rounding their back. So maybe that's stuff that they can work on now. So your program seems to have those little things in there too. So you're not just focusing on, well, how can I maintain as much strength as possible when there's all these other things that they need to work on and they haven't been working on. Right. Yeah. That, I, I think it's a really good timing to do all this stuff literally since you can't do anything else. Um, and I think it, it'll help, it'll help an athlete actually set them up, 
for a good base when they return to the gym um, instead of just, I don't know, bench pressing their table or something or whatever the hell people are doing. <laughs> what the hell? I don't know. <laughs> crazy shit that people are doing. Well, uh, as Cramsey as mentioned, uh, I believe Candido did it, was the uh, push-up monolift. Oh, yeah, push-up monolift, yeah. Did you see that? <laughs> with his chairs? No, I didn't see it. He basically had uh, two chairs with a weight on it, and he yeah. went underneath the chair and pushed the chairs out of the way to get the weight on his back for push-ups. <laughs> that way you don't have to have, like, someone put it on your back. Yeah. You just have it on the chairs, and it goes. It, it works, right? Cramsey's been doing um, – he has a barbell and some plates and he does it in his yard and he he'll hip thrust the bar to his chest so he can do floor presses. He is hip thrusting 225 to his chest and doing floor presses. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was doing in my room before I got my rack is like I was doing floor presses and deadlift and when floor presses, yeah, you kind of just like roll onto your hip, do a hip thrust to get into the bottom and then yeah. do your but floor I, press. Yeah. But I mean, Hey, that, that I'm all for that because it, it's just it's a really smart way to to work around uh, the the access to equipment and still be able to train with a decent amount of specificity to powerlifting. You know, the floor press is pretty damn close to the bench press, and obviously you could deadlift, so that that's as specific as it gets. Um, <clears throat> for the upper but upper day, I put in a single arm floor press because, like I said, the idea is that maybe this person only has one dumbbell or one, one kettlebell. Um, so it's a unilateral movement, but you're still floor pressing, uh, a single arm row, same thing. So they only have one, one dumbbell or kettlebell and, uh, bicep curls and tricep extensions, because I just, I kind of just want people to get jacked while they're sitting around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I also think they're good. They're good rehab prehab movements for people that have, uh, elbow tendonitis, um, issues stemming from squatting and benching. Um, so that, that kind of was my whole thought process behind this. And then because most people, the idea is that the, the person would have one kettlebell or one dumbbell, you can't, um, you can't increase load. So we're stuck with it, whatever that weight is. So throughout the program, the volume on all these movements just goes up. Uh, it's the only metric we have, but it, you, we can still um, we can still account for for progressive overload just by adding reps. Uh, it can't go on forever like this because of diminishing returns on it. But we're operating under the assumption that maybe in a month or two months or three months we'll be back in the gym. So in the short term, that that actually I think it works pretty well. Yeah, for the uh, single arm stuff, yeah, if you only have access to one dumbbell or one kettlebell, it's beneficial. Um, as you mentioned before, also with uh, imbalances. So some people might have one side that's stronger. So I like to do, like, if I'm doing dumbbell rows, start my weaker side, which is my left side, so I can see how much I can do with the weaker side and then do the rest with the stronger side. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is if they do have access to two dumbbells or two kettlebells, depending on the chi- size and the uh, handles, they might be able to grab like both of them or maybe like cross the dumbbell handles and maybe grab both of them. And then you can get more weight that way in your single arm row or whatever you're doing. Right. Yeah. If, if you could figure out some way to add, um, to increase the load or the, the resistance, then by all means you, you should be doing that. Um, but yeah, I actually to go back what you said about the weaker side. So this is something I do for myself. Uh, and it, I didn't put this in the program, but it, um, I'm a big fan of it. 
is you can, what I like to do is AMRAP the weaker side. So like I know my left side sucks, so I'll AMRAP, I'll pick a weight and I'll AMRAP, um, I don't know, Bulgarian split squats. And then I'll match the, the stronger side. Um, so that way you're, you're trying to catch up the lagging side and not, not overtraining or not, um, while not increasing strength on the other side. I'm not articulating that very well, but uh, I do that for my own training. Yeah, there's different ways if you want to try and catch up the weaker side. Um, one is you can do more reps. Um, the other thing um, is you can do more sets. So you can do like one additional set on the weaker side. Um, and over time, um, you'll get more volume in and that side should be able to catch up. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, so basically this is... Uh, some just in short some ways to navigate training without the barbell uh increase time under tension so tempoing a movement um just more time you spend in, in the range of motion uh unilateral movements uh and then trying to pick movements that are close to sports specificity so we're, we're talking about powerlifting but this this could be anything um those are general guidelines that i would recommend for coming up with a pro at home programming for ha to have it be actually beneficial to um to training i don't know if there's anything that you would want to add to that yeah i mean in general um going back to the whole idea of time under tension or, or unilateral all this stuff is like that is you're trying to make it as difficult as possible depending on what level you're at you might be able to knock out 100 bodyweight squats and maybe 50 push-ups and so you're going to get less of an effect because um you're so far from your max right uh, so there's research out there trying to figure out how low basically you can go percentage-wise and still get, get like hypertrophy effects mm -hmm. uh, depending on what you look at it might be like down to 30 percent or maybe 20 to 30 percent so you can go pretty low but there is probably still some minimum threshold that you need to hit so if you just got like the empty bar and squatted when you're a 600 pound squatter, uh, you're probably going to get little to nothing out of it. Right. So you want to make it more difficult by either doing the tempo, doing a pause, holding on to a weight, using a band, um, doing a single arm or single leg, something to make it more difficult to um, get closer to that max to hold on to that hypertrophy. Um, then when you go back to competition movements, your strength might have initially dropped down from the loss of practice and everything like that. But at least you have the muscle mass to be able to kind of get it back quickly, um, depending on what level you're at. It might take two weeks, it might take four weeks, but at least you can get that strength back faster than getting that strength the first time. Right. Yeah, and I, and I subscribe to the, the thought that during this time period, any movement is better than no movement. Um, it sucks to not train normally, but to just not do anything is just gonna, I think, set you back a little bit further. A couple weeks, you'll probably be fine, like three weeks, four weeks. I don't think it would be that big of a deal. You'd bounce back relatively quick, but if this goes on for a long time, to just do zero movement uh, is probably not the best idea. Um, this is also a time to do stuff that maybe you've been putting off because you're just so focused on training. I have some athletes who like to run they don't run normally because of their training cycle. Um, so you can do running, you can do biking, whatever, just some kind of movement uh, instead of just walking away from it at all. Yeah, I mean, just the 
by the way, stuff or whatever you do at home can help burn calories too. Um, for me down here, um, I don't walk around much when I go out, I drive everywhere, but for like you guys in New York, you're walking around everywhere. So all of a sudden now, the amount of like uh, steps you take in a day and the amount of calories you burn a day has dropped by just sitting around at home. So that can affect your body weight too, is that maybe your body weight will go up. And if you're trying to stay within a weight class, then maybe just doing this extra stuff will burn a couple extra hundred calories um, to kind of try and fight that. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to do some kind of mitigation, um, as you're, especially for people that live in cities, because you're right, New Yorkers do walk a lot on average. Um, and now people are literally just sitting in their apartments <laughs> and eat, probably eating a whole lot of bullshit, um, which I'm a big fan of eating bullshit for sure. But uh, I try and I try and balance that out by going to the gym. <laughs> yeah, like you might normally walk one to three miles a day. And so now you've lost out on that. Um, and then you normally train maybe four to six times a week. So you're lost out on that. And then maybe now, yeah, you're sitting at home watching Netflix, uh, Tiger King or whatever, and eating more. <laughs> so now your calories went up. So all those combined can really affect your, your body weight and your muscle mass. Um, and then once you come back, all of a sudden you realize you're like way over your weight class and your strength is down. And it can be like very uh, uh, mentally defeating. And maybe you don't want to start up again and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so in general, trying to maintain as many things as you can doing some kind of exercise, some kind of cardio. Um, for the nutrition side, trying to keep the protein high to try and maintain muscle mass. Um, obviously, drinking lots of water and sleep can also help um, just in general, getting your body uh, recovered from whatever training you did right before the, uh, the forced deload. Yeah. Yeah. And conditioning is a factor too, right? I mean, we wouldn't even talk about that. But if, if you're doing nothing and you go back to the gym and you try and do a set of five at a decent weight, you're probably going to be dying. <laughs> uh, so you're kind of just, this is all mitigation and you're just, we're trying to mitigate um, strength loss, uh, conditioning, decrease in conditioning, all these things. So that way when we get back to the gym, we could actually bounce back faster. Uh, that's basically what we're doing. You're not going to, you're probably not going to add weight to your squat while we're in this force deload. But, um, I think the goal here is, is mitigation. And uh, like I said, even with <clears throat> even with a dumbbell or a kettlebell, you could um, you could potentially put on some muscle, get get a little jacked while uh, while you're sitting around. Just yeah, I mean, it depends on what level you're at. Uh, one of the questions uh, Tommy asked in the uh, IG live is, how quickly do you lose strength? And he usually takes one month off each year, and his strength comes back fine, and his joints feel good. Um, so the amount of strength loss just depends on the level of the person. And in general, the uh, more advanced you are and the closer you are to your, your, your max potential, then you probably have a quicker and bigger drop-off um, just because you need to maintain that stimulus and doing all this lighter stuff probably won't be enough. Whereas if you're a beginner or even untrained, then you might be able to maintain more easily or even gain. Um, I think there's some research out there that Greg Knuckles put that for like elderly untrained population, they gain muscle just from walking. Yes. So they were they were so untrained that just the walking was enough of a stimulus to give them some muscle mass. So it just depends on where you are on that uh, spectrum. Yeah, totally. So even a, a, like a program that I put out there for a beginner in a in a deload like this, they they might actually see a, a decent training effect from it. Um, but yeah, somebody who's an elite level 
intermediate to elite, they're they're probably just this is trying to trying to maintain as best as possible. Um, yeah, especially if you suck at bodyweight stuff. Like I always sucked at push-ups. Yeah, and uh, and for a while I always sucked at pull-ups. So if you can barely do like ten push-ups or pull-ups, um, or even like uh, dips on like a bench or a chair then just being able to build up to 25 push-ups, 50 push-ups, maybe 10 or 15 pull-ups um, is going to help your your strength and your muscle mass if you're that untrained. Yeah, totally. Um, and then uh, I guess real quick, let's talk about, uh, let's say let's say this ends in two weeks and everyone goes back to the gym. Um, you have a general guidance for all these powerlifters who are going to start up again. Um Let's say they all asked you to write, write one program for everybody. Uh, what, what, how would you structure it? I mean, it depends on how long it takes. Um, but as long as it's not too long of a period, you basically start up just like you would start up after a meet. So usually after a meet, um, one, you going into the meet, you were doing low rep training, and then you maxed out. And then you might take however many days off, depending on the person, five days, seven days, maybe two weeks off. Um, and then jump back into higher rep work. So usually when you want to do that, you want to slowly build into it with an intro week um, with lighter percentages and building up the reps. So as long as the time off is not that long, then that's what you would do. If the time is maybe longer, like two months or something like that, maybe you'd want to do like two intro weeks or three intro weeks to slowly bump back up. Yeah. Um, maybe you bump up the frequency too. Maybe the, the first um, week, you're only benching like twice. Then the second week, maybe you're benching three times. And then the third week, you're benching four times, slowly building it back up because you don't want to try and jump right back in when you're that untrained and then risk um, basically failing reps or getting injured or just being too sore, not being able to do the next session. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> I think a slower approach to it is is uh, is beneficial um, and just give it time because it will come back pretty quick, but you can't rush it uh, and you need to train conditioning again um your your acclimation to volume you can't just throw yourself into it but yeah i agree totally um, yeah and, and if you have access to some weights and you're doing like some barbell movements like let's say for example you have 135 pounds that you're able to clean and do like front squats with it or like pause back squats with it so you're doing some intensity at least but when you come back to the gym, you don't want to just jump up and start like back squatting 500 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so you might want to bump up the intensity. So if you've already been doing 135 for 15 reps, then maybe you bump it up to like whatever 185 for 12 reps and then like 225 for 10 reps and slowly um, build it back up the intensity just because your body's not used to having that kind of weight on its back. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of, um, of a linear progression, even for uh, intermediate or advanced lifters uh, after a deload like this, like a month off or, or two months. Cause I've actually, in my own, in my own training, I've taken a month and a half or a month off. And every time I've done that, I've come back. I've just, I've done like a, a, a really slow linear progression for like two or three weeks, like start at like 40% of your previous one RMs. And then each session add five kilos or something like that. Um, it gets you, I, I think it gets you back to, a decent condition pretty quick um, without risking injury or uh, crippling yourself because, you know, you're going to be sore as hell <laughs> after, after a month off. 
Yeah, that, that's uh, kind of what the, the intro weeks are. You're purposely going conservative um, below what you're capable of. So even if you know exactly what you're capable of, you pur purposely start off lower. And so when you're starting off lower, you could just take a simple method and just go linear straight to it, um, adding each session or each week. Um, and I do the same thing if someone's coming off an injury and they're like basically haven't trained for maybe whatever, three months, six months because of an injury. And they basically have to like start over again. Well, then you just start over super conservative. I've had some people go as light as just starting with the empty bar because they've been off for so many months. Um, the empty bar for five reps and then you just go up whatever 20 pounds each session and keep doing the five reps and just building it up that way. You don't have to do anything uh, crazy uh, yeah. when you're starting that conservative. Yeah, you don't need to get too fancy with it. Um, I think it's a really smart way to get back into the game when, once you get back into the gym. Yeah, so for like lifters that uh, like lower reps and like powerlifters, I might have a day that's like three sets of five and a day that's maybe three sets of three or four sets of three. And then um, every session, the fives go up whatever, 10 to 20 pounds and the threes go up 10 to 20 pounds. And then as they're starting getting closer, then it might only go up five to 10 pounds. And then once they're kind of hitting where the RPEs are getting harder, RP8 or whatever like that, then we just go back to our normal style of periodization. Yeah, yeah I think it, I totally agree with that. Um, all right, anything else you want to talk about? This is a quick one, but just to fill pe people in on our methodologies for at-home training. Um, just, I guess, to throw in there, um, don't know exactly the date this uh, episode will go out and what's going on then, but I know a lot of people are wondering like what's going on when everything's going to get back to normal what's going on with usapl meets what's going on with ipf meets what's going on with the gym um and and basically we don't know we're we're in the same boat as everyone else uh, we are not uh experts on this stuff we don't have the data on this stuff we don't know how long it's going to take for it to go away we don't know how long it's going to take for everything to get back open i have no idea what the schedule is going to go on with meets getting postponed or canceled so we're, we're all um in the same boat with basically uh, no knowledge. The people that do have the experience, they're collecting the data too. So we'll see next week um, what the US government wants to do and then what other countries want to do in the coming weeks and maybe even a month. Um, yeah. So. Oh, also, do we, um, do we have any questions from Instagram? I didn't see. Well, I answered uh, Tommy's question. Um, Ramsey says, what if I'm uh, crippled emotionally? <laughs> um, and and uh, the, there are a couple couple sides to this. Um, you see other people that are like rushing out to try and like rent equipment from the gym or, or buy stuff off a road and continue their training. Um, so for those people, they might figure out like um, maybe they, they like training a lot more than they thought. And uh, maybe they like competing a lot more than they thought. Now that it's almost like gone, then they realize like, oh, I really do have to keep doing this. Um, and on the flip side, you get some people that might be like, oh, well, I took whatever, two months off and uh, it wasn't that bad. So maybe they'll find something else. Maybe they do start running and maybe they do like that or maybe they do like the uh, bodybuilding style stuff and they'll do that. Um, so it is a uh, mental aspect to this too and basically how you frame everything and then kind of figure out um, basically with the uh, force deload, whether you uh, actually like this or not. Oh yeah, sorry, I was trying to figure this out. All right, we got a couple questions. Uh, how does acute 
to chronic workload ratio impact post COVID training decisions. So I think we kind of talked about that um, with a linear progression or a really conservative linear progression because your acclimation to the workload is going to be a lot lower since you haven't been training normally. And uh, if you just, it's basically what we said before, if you just throw yourself back into it, um, higher risk of injury, um, your probably motor pattern isn't going to be that great if you're just trying to smash, you know, 80 plus percent right off the bat. Um, so I think the easiest way to work around that for the first month or so is just take a really conservative approach uh, and build that stuff back up. We kind of we kind of talked about that already. Um, is BFR relevant again during COVID? So that's actually a really good one that I actually haven't really thought about. Uh, BFR is blood flow restriction, um, which goes back into what we were talking about before. With uh, It's a tool to make a simple movement more difficult uh, with limited access. And all you really need is a, is a band. Um, so let's say you want to do BFR for, for bicep. You could wrap the band here to restrict blood, for, blood flow, do a bunch of curls. Uh, you'll get a crazy pump with it. And um, there's some research that shows that that has a, the BFR has an increased effect on hypertrophy. Um, a word of a word of wisdom with that: don't wrap it too tightly <laughs> because you will absolutely fuck yourself up if you do that. Uh, it it doesn't have to be very tight to to get that restriction. Um, but yeah, I think BFR is actually a, a really smart uh, tool to use on this force deload. Uh, and then we have a question from Jordan that says, does Arian own tigers? Uh, I own tigers. Are you Carol Baskin? <laughs> no, no, and I, I've only watched, uh, episode one today. I'm trying to get caught with everyone, uh, talking about this, uh, this show and posting all the memes. Yeah, it's, I watched all, I finished watching the whole thing. It's fucking absolutely insane. It's the most Florida shit ever, and only, like, one of those people live in Florida. <laughs> the, other, the other guy lives in Oklahoma, which I lived there for six months, so maybe I am yeah. somehow in this story. Yeah, you, somehow you fit into this whole narrative. Um, but, yeah, the, the whole thing was insane. And then the last question is, how do I stop being a sad boy? And, Cramsey, I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. Just you keep training. Yeah. on your deck or whatever it is he's training yeah you're one of the only people that have access to a barbell right now so be a happy boy um all right i think that that pretty much wraps it up um this episode will be up soon and uh yeah keep an eye out and i'll talk to you i'll talk to you soon Aaron. all right sounds good See ya. later